couple weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine called and asked me some questions about the doctrine, the Bible doctrine of angels. And apparently some folks in his church were extra interested and maybe extra excited, if you will, about the whole notion of angels and especially guardian angels. And so we exchanged some thoughts and some scriptures and also noted some popular books about angels that is where a lot of Christians get their extra excitement from. And notice we said books, not scriptures. The book of Hebrews has an oft-repeated word. We may spend some time on this as a sort of mini-series. Maybe I'm not praying about it. But there's an oft-repeated word that essentially gives the theme of this book. It's an amazing book, as you know, the book of Hebrews. And the word that's repeated over and again, how many of you know what it is? Raise your hands if you know what it is. It's the word better. Better. Hebrews 6, verse 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better. Here's that word. Better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Better things. And all the things that accompany salvation, our salvation is better, in fact. Chapter 7, across the page, verse 7. And without contradiction, the last is blessed of the better. Verse 19, same chapter. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. A better hope. Look at verse 22. So much was Jesus made a surety, a guarantee, of a better testament. There's an old and there's a new, and the new is better, period. It's a better testament. Across the page, chapter 8, verse 6, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better, a better covenant, look at this, which was established upon better promises. And we've already seen several betters. I'm going to just, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, but listen to these. Chapter 9, verse 23, better sacrifice. Chapter 10, verse 34, a better substance. Chapter 11, verse 16, a better country. Amen to that. Chapter 11, verse 35, a better resurrection. Chapter 11, verse 40, a better purpose. Chapter 12, verse 24, a better sacrifice. This teaching that our Lord Jesus and the gospel, his New Testament, are better is the theme. It is the theme of the book of Hebrews, including the very first mention of the word better all the way back in chapter 1. Turn there, would you? And let's look at it and then we'll pray. So the book starts out really with this notion of what we have is better and who we know is better. Including chapter 1, verse 4, it says, being made so much better. Of course, this is Jesus. Being made so much better than the angels. As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So better than the angels let's pray father please help us to know what all of this means for us as your people please help us to put into proper perspective lord the teaching in your word about angels and about the preeminence of christ and who he is in all of our lives and what these things teach us tonight in jesus name amen all of the betters that the writer of Hebrews is inspired to talk about 
that we just noted, and of course there are many others we didn't turn to. Of all of them, it might surprise you to know that angels practically dominate the better discussion, including the fact that, of course, uh, they are the very first part of the discussion. Christ is better than the angels. Just in chapter 1, I want you to notice the mention of the presence and the ministry of God's angels repeated over and again. We noted in verse 4, better than the, being made so much better than the angels. Verse 5, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee. Also verse 6, the last line says, let all the angels of God worship him, worship Jesus. Verse 7, and of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Verse 13, later in the chapter, it says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? The angels, or servants, in other words, sent forth to minister to serve for them who shall be heirs of salvation. How many of you in this room are heirs of salvation? Raise your hands. Yeah, I raise mine. Hallelujah. Well, you have a servant, the Bible says. But what does that mean? You know, way back in Psalm 34, which begins with a little superscription you may remember, describes David's circumstances just before the psalm. And he's the king of Israel, and he's at the absolute lowest point of his life and his ministry, you'll remember. And it talks about how, you, you remember how he scrawled gibberish on the doors and pretended to drool in his own beard, pretended to be crazy. I have an older brother who did that one time. Pretended to be nuts in order to convince Abimelech, the king of Gath, that he was crazy. And don't kill this guy because he's nuts. And he's hiding at the time in the cave of Adullam and looking less noble than ever because he's literally running for his life. It's that occasion in his life, that specific time, that God graciously came to him and inspires him to write those words in Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. In Genesis 32, Jacob fled from the cruelty of his father-in-law. And then he fled also, as you know, from his brother. And driven from his own country, he has no prospects now in front of him and other than exile and danger. It says in verse 1, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Jacob said in verse 2, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Maenaim. Maenaim, which means two armies. Two armies. From Maenaim in Genesis to the city of Dothan in 2 Kings chapter 6, you find Elisha surrounded, as you know, by the armies of Ben-Hadad. And Elijah's servant says, Master, what are we going to do? He's full of fear. This attack from Syria is imminent. They're going to die. And he says, he says what are we going to do? And he prays, Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about. Now, they had always been there. You just couldn't see them, right? In Luke 22, our Lord is about to endure the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And it says in verse 43, there appeared unto him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Now, ponder that for a moment. Jesus is about to die in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweat, great sweat, of God, let that cup pass from me. It wasn't his mission to die in, in the Garden, and the angels didn't want him to die in the Garden, as we'll see later. And the Bible says that God sent an angel. Why? Pastor, couldn't God just, yes. Couldn't God just rescue Elijah? Yes. Jacob? Yes. Why then does God tell us, show us, remind us here that there are actually angels ministering spirits? And why did he have to send one to Jesus? Just to, I don't know. I don't. I know that God can do it without angels, of course. God is infinite, and angels are not created beings but I know that God puts them in his word and I know as a father there were times that I gave my boys and my Louise gave the boys assurances that were smaller than us but it helped them it helped increase their faith if you will a few moments later when after the garden of Gethsemane you may remember an arresting mob shows up and the Lord Jesus referred to the angels, when he said to Peter, put away thy sword. Peter is a concealed carry, or open carry, I guess, probably. Put it away, Peter. Thinkest thou not, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to the Father, and he shall presently, immediately give me more than 12 legions of angels. Now, did Jesus need 12 legions of angels? Again, no. But Peter, the Lord felt that Peter needed to know this, that this is available, this is real. Now, a couple things about that verse, you know, a legion is 6,000. So 12 legions, Jesus says, 72,000. This is not a big spot they're in. I mean, 72,000 angels showing up would have taken over the scene. And then also, legion is a military term. This is something you see all through scriptures when it talks about angels. Peter couldn't see them. He could never have seen them there. He couldn't see them any more than Elisha's servant or King David or the entire armies of Syria or Rome. But they, they're available. And in those cases, most of those cases, they were there. Pastor, you literally believe in the presence of, of heavenly angels. More to the point, I'll remind you of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16. It said it came to pass that, that the beggar died. True story, not a parable. And he was carried by the angels into heaven. It's an amazing text to me. It's a reminder that no Christian dies alone, no matter where you are. They were escorted. Now, did God need angels to escort? No. But I think it's a comfort to Lazarus, and if he had any loved ones, and, and then, undoubtedly for me, that's part of the reason for the revelation. In other words, look, it's not that I believe in the presence and the ministry of angelic beings. Jesus himself does, and he's a far greater authority on, on angels and eternity than you and I will ever be. So that from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between, you will read and you will see the work and the ministry of God's angels.
who are sent, the Bible says, sent into this world for one great purpose. Look at chapter 1 again, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? Again, that word is serve for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, it would be very easy for me tonight and very irresponsible for me to teach a Bible lesson here or the next few weeks or whatever about all the things that the Bible doesn't say about angels. We can spend a lot of time contemplating what color eyes do angels have and how many are in this room right now. And have I ever seen one? I've had a couple of people tell me they've seen them and I can never show them otherwise. And how tall are they? And they, do they sing as well as Pastor Blaylock or whatever, you know? But you know, between Hollywood and phony Christian publications, there's all kinds of, of lies and legends and falsehoods about angels, who they are and what they do. Some of you remember that I read a book that one of those people in our church gave me years ago and said, you know, Pastor, you need to emphasize angels and whatnot. This book was written by a lady who, very fanciful book on angels, and she claimed that you can get to know your own personal guardian angel. I'm not sure the Bible even teaches that you have one like that. But her book convinced a lot of people, church members, and including pastor friends of mine and their people. To this author, they said that her guardian angel was invisible. But sometimes she would talk to her guardian angel and would know that the guardian angel was in her presence. And then when it would leave, you could smell a flower, certain flowers behind it. And that's how she knew the angel was there. So she named her angel Floria, for flower and would refer to her and talk to her now folks that's pure fiction it's not biblical i can tell you that it's sentimental and i can tell you that we're not going to do that tonight we're not going to look at any ghostly do-gooders stave up marshmallow angels what we want to look at is what's biblical what does the bible say because you're going to read about angels as you read through the bible and you're going to have questions and you're going to think things that are either biblical or unbiblical about them in the Bible, angels are described as flames of fire. And they're part of God's host. Once again, that's a military term. The host. And they don't carry harps and clouds. Like I said, my wife is an angel. She's always up in the air harping about something. Yeah. <laughs> they're usually in the Bible carrying swords. And that sword denotes authority and power. Strength. When Jacob met an angel, he walked away with a limp permanently. And when the angel came and woke Peter up, remember he was, he was asleep and he couldn't wake up. And, and it says that the angel whispered in his ear. You know, he smote him on the side. Just like, just like a boom, a general would do. You know, Get up, soldier. In fact, the two most oft-used words about God's angels in the Bible are fear not. They show up. What do they have to say? Fear not. You know why? Because almost always the people were afraid when they encountered one of God's angels. And if you really want to know what an angel, what you smell when an angel shows up, I can tell you right now, it's the smell of victory for the people of God and defeat for Satan. Because they're sent by God. 
They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. That's an amazing thought. God's angels are on a mission. Which according to Peter, they quote, desire to look into. We may close with that verse in a moment because that verse is mind-blowing. So it brings us tonight to some thoughts, okay, from the Bible. Not little trivial made-up stuff about angels, but the big picture, the truth and the reality and the biblical, the Bible lesson that we're supposed to garner and, and, and get into our minds and hearts that angels truly teach us. And for me, the most important one, the obvious one, the reminder of the preeminence in this life, the reason there are angels is it reminds us of eternity. Now let me explain that, eternal things. Angels are in this room, if we understand the Bible. Open our eyes. Angels are real. Demons are real. Angels are real. Angels are, in other words, put it this way, angels are here. Just like you're here. And when you go to work and in the world and all around us, we can't see, but angels are actually here. So what does that tell me? Well, look at chapter 1 again and verse 10. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They, that is the work of his hands, creation, they shall perish. These things are, are waxing old, right? But thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Now let me stop here for a minute. What is all of those verses, all that talking about? Well, it's talking about the material, the works of thine hands. Waxing old, the physical, visible world. Everything you read about, in, especially those first two verses we read, concerns what you can touch and see and feel. And of course, this is the part of life that the world tells you is real. This is the part of life that your carnal side tells you is the real thing. The earth with its rocks and its waters and its trees, the cosmos out there that we, that we look at, the stars and the planets, the galaxies that are so far away, that's what's real. And therefore, that's what matters. That can be seen with the human eye. And in most cases, touched with the human hands. And it is real. All that you see, this truly exists. But again, where did it all come from? It says, he laid the works. Verse 10, and they shall perish. Thou remainest. Verse 12, as a vesture, thou shalt fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Now, wait a minute, folks. Listen to me. We see the works of God's hands. We see them. We feel them. But who sees the actual hands? Who sees the throne, the place where the Creator resides, who made all the things that we see? Who sees the power and the glory, the spiritual reality? behind all of this creation that is who that's among us sees it because i don't and you don't but the angels do there is our beings in our midst that see both sides right now and that way god's angels 
are a reminder constantly of that which is eternal and that which is spiritual. Which simply means that behind everything you do in life, as mundane as it seems, and experience and see, always, whether you recognize it or not, there is always the eternal spiritual dimension to it. And that spiritual reality is just as real, if not more so, than this material. You know, <laughs> I was thinking about this. A whole bunch of people ate a whole bunch of mashed potatoes and corn and turkey and pie a week ago, tomorrow. Some of you ate that cranberry sauce that comes out of the can, you know, that stuff. It's still got the rings around it when you plop it out. We don't do, how many of you eat that stuff? Do you really? Yeah, out of the can, you slice it up. Wow. Plop right out on your dish, right? And slid right out on the tablecloth. You know, you know, you open it upside down for a reason. They, they have that bubble on that one side because it's an air pocket. Literally, at least ocean spray, you open it so it goes, <laughs> pops right out so you can just slice it up, eat that jello stuff. That's material, right? That's material. The turkey was material. The pies. But you know, something as simple as that, think of this, as an everyday meal, you're going to have tomorrow morning or whatever. Something as common as fellowship and hospitality. Do you know that even that invokes and involves the angels that are among us? I think most of you are familiar with the last chapter of this book, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. And you're familiar with a verse. I'm going to read it to you. You can look at it. Hebrews 13. Verse 1 let brotherly love continue, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Where's? Really, Pastor? You know, I know Abraham did in Genesis 18. It's a great story, too. Matter of fact, I remember the Emmaus disciples entertained Jesus himself unawares. They didn't know it. It was him till he broke bread. And you know, the Bible's not promoting here Understand this, it's not promoting some sort of angel outreach. Oh, we're going to host angels. The key word is unawares. It's not some heavenly host hospitality house. 4-H club. It's just a reminder again that behind everything we do and see, behind everyday reality, there is this eternal spiritual world that is more real for us. Pastor, are you saying that these were angels at the Thanksgiving dinner of the senior saints? Yep. Some fallen angels, too, who's in charge of it. Actually, what God is saying, if you know the scriptures, is that angels are all over the place in our world, constantly reminding us, if you believe the Bible, that we are not a body with a soul. We are a soul that happens to have this body. As we've often said, we are not in the land of the living. Oh, we're in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. It's the other way around. We're in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. That's a child of God's perspective. And what that means for us, beloved, is everything. Everything. It means that our gathering here tonight has profound spiritual significance. But so does your getting up and going to work tomorrow. 
It's, there's an eternal, there are eternal ramifications just to you going to your job at Pratt, if you go there, or Publix, or if you go to your job at FPNL, Florida Plunder and Loot, as they call it. Or when there's a little summer storm, they call it Fine Papa's Lighter, I think is what they call that. But visible or not, surrounded, shrouded in mystery as it is, I agree with that. But we're people of faith. We believe what God says. So shrouded in mystery as it may be, God's angels, they've not just infiltrated our lives or our world. They're at their very core, as I hope you'll see at the very end. They're at the very core of our lives in so much as we are the redeemed sons of Adam. And they're, they're intrigued. We are his children doing his will, called by his name, obeying his word. As Paul says in Colossians 1, 1 verse 13, giving thanks to the Father who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. I belong to this kingdom. I've been taken out of the, the power of darkness. I belong to the eternal kingdom of which the angels remind us of. The eternal. So we should sort of remember the words of Elijah. Lord, open our eyes that we can see, not the angels, but the eternal. Things that matter, things the angels remind us of. That all around us, in all things and in all places, the emissaries of Christ are there to remind us to set our heart on things above, not on things on the earth. It reminds us this material world is not all that there is. It's not our lives. In fact, the least real thing is what shall wax old, the Bible says, like a garment, that these things that shall perish, that people just have their hearts and lives in. Scripture says, but our Lord remaineth and is ever the same. Why do you think the Lord said to his apostles, seek ye first the kingdom of God, first? And it's interesting, he says, and these things shall be added unto you. He almost dismisses everything that we think is so important, minimizing all those things people labor for their entire lives. These things, they'll be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. These things, your food, our houses, our money, these things, compared to things of true value, which are eternal. In fact, what God wants us to consider and know is that the very best of these things, the best ones, that amazing meal on Thanksgiving Day that you were thankful for if you were, these things are a taste, a glimpse of those things. A taste of glory divine, as the song says. Which, of course, is about as spiritual liberating as anything in Scripture for the child of God. The day that we continue to think of these things as these things, and seeking first those things, not physically seeing with our eyes the angels, but knowing that the kingdom of God is among us, that's spiritually liberating. When John R. Rice got off that car in New York City and a couple of preachers, and he was in his 80s, up in years, a guy came up to him, two guys, put a gun to his head. And Dr. Rice just looked at him and said, you can't threaten me with heaven and they, they were so freaked out they ran away. But, you know, that's a man who walked with God for a lot of decades. 
Yeah, yeah, that, you can't threaten me with heaven. Yeah. Someone asked me once if there was any redeeming aspect about Facebook. And I said, you know, I think there's two. I don't have Facebook. I stalk Andy's Facebook, his old one from college. So I see what you're put, posting, but you don't know that it's me. You think it's Andy. doesn't matter. <laughs> two things. One, I think, is actually beneficial are prayer requests. I see them on there. And I'm talking about real prayer requests, not the ones where you put on there, pray for Jake. You know, I saw him walking out of a bar yesterday. You know, these fake prayer requests that are really just gossip that people do. Not that, but real prayer requests, yeah, it's good for that. And then the other thing I think is good about those kinds of things are posts about, you know, praises. Even pictures of a beautiful sunrise or a sunset, a new baby. Someone posts a godly song, as Mac and his wife have done. We've listened to those. Maybe an awesome picture of a wedding or a flower or baptism a convert on the field a lot of missionaries are on there any blessing of God not 500 pictures of this <laughs> eh, you know no not that because you know what it's always good to show God's goodness right it's always good to reveal the goodness of God leads us to repentance which is a part of the kingdom of God looking up in gratitude is a reminder that we are destined for glory and we need to be reminded moment by moment that we are all destined for glory, that we belong to him and to his kingdom. And that's what the teaching in the angels of angels in the Bible does for us. And so when sometimes God gives us a blessing, oftentimes it should remind us, just like the teaching about angels in scriptures do, that we're going to check out of this pilgrimage one day. It's a reminder not to drive your tent pegs so deep into this world. You go kicking and screaming when God calls you home. Hebrews chapter 13. If that's where you are, turn back to chapter 12 real quick. Chapter 12 and verse 22. I think that's it. But you are coming to a mountain, Sion, unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. Man, you know, we sing we're marching to Zion. So if angels are here and we are going to Zion, we're going to a place where there is an innumerable company of angels. That's sort of a reminder, is it not, that even the truth of angels tug at our hearts heavenward. They pull us that direction just like the little boy that's flying the kite and it got so far he couldn't see it and the man said, how do you know it's there? He says, I can feel the tug of it. We ought always to feel the tug in our heart. Upward. That we belong to glory. Go back to chapter 1, would you? Hebrews 1. Verse 13 says, But to which of the angels said at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? See, Christ is better. The angels are not here so that we exalt the angels. They're servants. Are they not all, the next verse, ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? David said, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. They're servants. 
You know, there's an intriguing statement our Lord makes in Matthew 18 about angels. It actually reminds me of Psalm 91.11. It says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Now again, look, I'm going to say it again. Why? You say, Pastor, why? Why does God send angels and give us his promise? He shall send his angels to keep charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Can't God do it without? Yes, but he's telling us. It helps us. The Matthew text seems to be an assurance against worry. It says in Matthew 18.10, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Wow. Now again, I'm not saying that it's definite that you or your little one have one specific assigned guardian angel. You already have the Holy Spirit, you already have the presence and the promise of Christ, but it's true. That angels look to God's face always, the Bible says, to do His bidding, quote, on your behalf. They see God's face, but they also see your face and your child's face. I thought about Psalm 9111 when I was reading about Paul going to his, his execution. And he was about to lose his life. But here's what he wrote. He said, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me to his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Well, can I ask you a question? Was Paul wrong when he wrote those words? Because he died right after that. Not hardly. Who knows? A hundred, a thousand times before. The angels kept charge over him and saved his life until it was time in the will of God. Now, beloved, I don't know about you. It's good enough for me. Always safe until I'm safely home. That should be good enough for any of us. I'm reminded of the testimony of Daniel when he was thrown in the den of lions. He said in Daniel 6.21, O king, live forever. My God. The glory goes to God. The attention goes to God. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean they took their hands and went like that? I don't know. They just stood in front of them and the lions went, ew. Probably. O king, live forever. My God has sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Angels are just another means of increasing our faith in a God of promise. Including the promise that he has a plan. That his plan is right on schedule. That he's in control, that he's on his throne. We shall not be moved. You know, in chapter 1, it says in verse 6, let all the angels of God worship him, worship Jesus. It reminds me that Jesus is the one that we're here for tonight. Not some angel, Floria, or whatever. That he's the one that we worship. We worship God, not an angel and not men. So that again, every angel that exists in the world is meant to remind us that God's on his throne, that God's in full control of all of the events on this earth. So it's interesting. If you trace through the Bible sometime, and do it, I encourage you to, follow in the scriptures all of the time, see every major announcement, just with one angel, Gabriel. He's the press secretary of heaven. 
with every major event that happened in the world, in this world that we're, which we're living, one of God's angels was there magnifying the glory of God on the earth and telling us that everything's all right in my father's house. No, we are not to be fixated on angels. We are to be fixated on the things that angels are fixated on. Turn to that text, would you, in 1 Peter 1. We'll close with this. This text is a great reminder of everything we've said tonight. Let's begin in verse 10, all right? Look at this carefully. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Okay, let's stop there. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophets, Moses. They wrote and they talked about the salvation that we all love and embrace tonight. And they inquired about it. Like, they would write things that they didn't even understand. They didn't fully see the sun, the full orb sun, rise off. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time? The Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. When David was writing in Psalms about piercing his hands and all the, all the promises and prophecies in the Old Testament about Christ, they wrote about it. The Spirit of Christ was in them. Jesus is the Word. And then it says this. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Lord himself. And then it says this. Which things the angels desire to look into. It's the strongest word in the New Testament for desire. Sometimes it's translated lust. Strong desire. So all, this, all the scriptures in the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the truths about glory and salvation and redemption, you're the heirs of the salvation, it says right here. And, and in Hebrews, you're the heirs. And it says all of that stuff, the angels long to look into. Of course they do. Because they were there way back there in the garden when man fell. They were there guarding the garden, not allowing them back in. For eons, they have stood over the Holy of Holies, the cherubim, the seraphim. Things the angels desire to look at. The angels are fixated. They're not on Twitter. They don't follow Elon Musk. They don't care about who's going to win the World Cup, Australia. That's not what, that's not what they're fixated on. They're not fixated on who's going to win Dancing with the Stars if that show's still on. I don't know. Ask Brother Remo. He watches it. He loves it. No. No, we don't, we don't look to the angels. We look to what the angels look to. And that is this so great salvation. Redemption, salvation, the gospel, eternity, angels. Look to that then why don't you? Why don't I? Why don't we get our eyes off of just the show? Oh, pastor, the, 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 the country and Twitter 
oh man, I just can't. Every day I have to read. No, you don't have to read about it. You certainly don't have to fixate on it. Put your, set your affections on things above. God's people said, Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to, to recognize that angels are sent forth, many spirits to the heirs of salvation. What a promise of your love and your care for your own. And what a reminder of the reality of the glorious plan of salvation and redemption, what it means to be saved. That very doctrine and truths, all the truths the angels long to look into. And as this season comes up, celebrating the birth of Christ, how we're reminded that the angels were there from the very beginning, announcing to the shepherds, announcing coming to Mary and Joseph and Zechariah. And then at the very end, at the resurrection, the angels are there. May it remind us, Lord, that there are things that matter and things that don't matter. Help us to be concerned with eternal things always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.